take a step back to look at index construction, the role of Tesla in the S&P 500. Vincent Dillard is joining us, global macro strategist at Stone X Group. Uh, Vincent, so with all the things that people are talking about right now, Fed, stimulus, et cetera, you got your eyes on, what, the construction of the S&P with the, the Tesla story? I mean, is this a big deal? Does it change it? What does it tell us? Well, I don't know, $500 billion. Do you think that's a big deal? Or is it some <laughs> pocket change that you can let go because of weird uh, index inclusion rules? Um, well, I read I somewhere, was, Vincent, if Tesla goes to zero, the S&P only loses like a couple percent. Is that true? Yeah, I think I think based on today's price, it should be around one and a half to two percent uh, of the index. So, okay. um, um, you know, but it's still, you know, it still would become, you know, maybe the fourth or the fifth largest holding. And, and the, the the funny thing about the Tesla inclusion story, of course, is that when it IPO'd, uh, about 10 years ago, um, it was actually already larger than the smallest stock in the S&P 500 index. So if the S&P 500 index had been a true uh, cap-weighted index, if they look at nothing but market cap, which I would argue is what a passive index should do, they should not be making other rules than that. Well, the S&P 500 would, uh, would be about 500 billion higher today than, than what it is. And we wouldn't have had this massive fiasco where we've seen the stock go from like, you know, 300 to 500 and above hmm. uh, on, on speculation that, you know, the stock is going to be added and, and you know, the, the rebalancing flows that have messed things, everything that, has, that have messed things up. I mean, we are really, I think Tesla, what Tesla is showing is that we live in an upside down world. Uh, theoretically, the active uh, side of the market should be setting price and the passive sector should be following while tesla shows that it's exactly the opposite prices are set by passive index funds and active investors are scrambling trying to catch up with what the passive sector is doing okay so how do you go from the tesla performance to the conclusion that it's the passive fund setting the price i mean it it wasn't in the passive fund right are you saying that the latest move in tesla reflects its choice of inclusion into the S&P and that's the reason why because that would then presume we know the reason why for the big move I mean uh, it's technically impossible we don't ever really know right yeah no, no, no one really knows I mean all you can do is uh, make assumptions and, and look at the existing evidence we have I mean did, did something happen at Tesla in the past month and a half to justify this. What about what happened to the stock that goes out from the S&P 500, which I think is a, a, a REIT, um, which has fallen yes. by about 15% uh, in the process. And then, I mean, this is, a re this is a real thing. I mean, you have close to, I think, 11 trillion that is benchmarked uh, to the S&P 500 index. I mean, you need to move that money. These funds need to sell uh, the five, 504 stocks in the index, which are not Tesla, and they need to buy uh, the stock of Tesla. And then on top of on top of that, you have the uh, the activity of index arbitrageurs, speculators, which can um, accelerate uh, these movements. So, and at the end of the day, I would say these movements are detrimental to the interest of uh, people who are buying the S&P 500 index as a, as a passive vehicle. Uh, the role of a passive vehicle should be to trade as little as possible and to be as discreet as possible. I mean, that was the framework that uh, John Bogle had or Bill Sharp had in the arithmetic of passive management. Uh, think of it as the uh, almost a dead weight, right? That's, that's what the passive sector was meant to be, not something that moves hundreds of billions of dollars based on 
somewhat arcane rules about index inclusion. Mm. So, uh, Vincent, uh, when we look at how the index will perform going forward, uh, I mean, they did eventually get Tesla, right? So that now we've kind of selected uh, the company through this natural process of its, of its growth. Um, it, it, is there, in your mind, still active decision-making happening here? I mean, can't we just argue that um, the rules are set and now Tesla is part of it? Because it, it seems like kind of what you're arguing here is that the index construction is the active sort of uh, impulse that's driving markets overall. Right. So, I mean, Tesla is not going to be in. Uh, index funds are going to buy. That story is over. I mean, my expectation is that basically S&P 500 bought the top, created that top. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of literature that tends to show that after stock gets added to the index, it actually underperforms. Uh, it issues more debt. Uh, it invests less and it pays its CEO, uh, which is probably not exactly what we need uh, in the case of a disruptive, innovative company like, like Tesla. Now, another active decision which um, I wanted to bring up because I think it's important and it flies under the radar is a decision that the S&P Index Committee took uh, in August 2017. And that decision was to exclude uh, shares of a dual class. So, you know, the, the founders typically have more voting rights than the people who buy the IPO. A lot of tech companies love to do that. Snapchat did that. There was a fiasco. BlackRock and other large institutional investors revolted, and the S&P uh, Index Committee wanted to appease them by doing that. Well, by taking that, by making that decision, they missed Zoom, Pinterest, Airbnb. I mean, almost all of the big tech IPOs that we're seeing today have this dual class share structure. So over mm -hmm. time, I think it's gonna matter a lot more than Tesla because progressively you'll see that IPOs can no longer be added to the S&P 500 because of that requirement. And the, the claim that the S&P 500 index represents the US economy is, is orthogonal with their effort to promote certain standards in terms of corporate governance. Okay, uh, so we see the difference uh, between these two groups, the, the shares, the multi-class shares that have now been excluded uh, versus uh, the market overall. So obviously missing out on some winners here because of this, uh, but uh, time will tell if this is just a momentary look at the froth in this market and the fact that there's been a lot more companies as we see here with that multi-class uh, share structure. Vincent, interesting take as always. Thanks for being with us and giving us a breath of fresh air from all the Fed talk today. Vincent Delard, Global Macro Strategist at Stonex Group.